Matthew chapter 6. Tonight seems like it's been quite some time since we've been in this chapter, and it's just because we've had uh, some of the men preaching. We had um, a lot of different things going on on Sunday nights uh, with our services, and so we've kind of taken a step back from it for just a little bit, but we're going to get back into it tonight. Um, while you're turning over there, um, one of the things that we're going to start doing, and we're going we're gonna to pick up uh, with it as soon as I get back from this trip, um, but all of our sermons are on the website, and they're all on podcasts, uh, and it's just, I think it's just a great way to kind of make everything concise and easy to get to and, and access and all of that stuff. But one of the things that, that um, I'm going to start when we get back is doing a podcast a couple times a week. Uh, in addition to the services. And so uh, one of the things that we'll do is like a devotional podcast. It'll only be, you know, four, five, six minutes long. It's not going to be real long, but kind of, kind of as a, um, uh, an addendum, maybe you could say, I don't know, to um, the written devotionals that uh, we're putting out a couple times a week. Um, but then also um, just kind of taking a step back to uh, start at square one and, and go through discipleship. And, and kind of the intention is to, uh, and, and they're not going to be real long, but maybe like 10 minutes each, and um, just uh, start at salvation, uh, actually start at kind of pre-salvation, look at salvation, uh, look at eternal security, look at baptism, look at, you know, reading your Bible, look at praying, look at, you know, how to witness to somebody and those different types of things. And kind of make it into like maybe a 15, 15 podcast little series that we'll put on the website that hopefully will be a help to, to you, but also a help to uh, maybe somebody that has never been in church before, you know, and we can point them in that direction and, and just kind of use it as a way to, uh, number one, help see people get saved, but number two, uh, disciple those who are saved. And um, Josh mentioned, um, you know, uh, he got saved, and he was already, his family was already in church and everything else. He said, but I never got discipled, you know. Uh, nobody ever, you know, went through a discipleship course, probably just because you were already in church, you know. So, um, and, and I, I, I feel like we're, we, you know, cover a lot of these different things on Wednesday nights and stuff. I don't feel like, you know, you're not getting discipled, but there's not, there's not necessarily a start to finish, you know. Uh, we've, we've done it. We have done a 15-week discipleship course. We did that on Wednesday nights, kind of when we were just getting started. And we'll go back and do it again, but um, I, I think that'll be helpful. But then also just kind of start to, to use the podcast to start going through what we believe and why we believe it, you know. Uh, and we did a, I did a whole series on, on that on Wednesday nights. But, you know, why do we not drink alcohol? Why do we not smoke? Why do we not, you know, uh, why do we not believe in tattoos? Why are we against, you know... Uh, homosexuality and transgender? Why are we against abortion? Why are we against cremation? And I think a lot of those are things that you would say that you believe, but you don't necessarily know why you believe them, you know? And what good is it to believe it if you don't know why you believe it? And um, uh, because if you're only doing it because somebody told you that that's what you needed to believe, then you're, then you're not believing it for the right reasons anyway. You need to know from the Word of God why you believe those things. Amen. And uh, so just to, to take this thing and... and um, uh, you know, just, it, I'm, not, I'm going to try not to make them too long. I don't want it to be 40-minute sessions so that nobody listens to them. You know, I want it to be something that people actually will listen to. And, you know, I typically, unless I'm really interested in whatever it is, I, I listen to a decent number of podcasts, but I typically don't listen to it unless it's, you know, fairly concise. You know, I don't want to listen to something that's going to go on for 45 minutes or an hour unless I'm really interested in the topic, you know. Uh, and some of them might not be that interesting to you, but they're things that you might need to hear, you know. 
Um, so if you have uh, uh, maybe a topic that, you, that you've been interested in, you know, why do we believe this? Why do we believe that? You know, it'll be a challenge to all of us. You know? It'll help us all to study through it and to look at it. But uh, mention it to me. And, you know, it might not be within the first 10 or 15 weeks, but, you know, we'll get to it and it'll be there and, and we can, you know, do that as part of the podcast as well. But kind of what the plan is, is to do one of those sessions a week and one devotional session a week. Uh, I don't want it to get to the point where I'm like, oh, I had to do another one of these podcasts again, you know. I want it to be something that everybody, oh, here's another one again. You know, I want it to be something that everybody enjoys, that everybody kind of looks forward to because they're not getting flooded with them, but... Uh, something that will be helpful for us to kind of go start and finish with what we believe and why we believe it, you know. Um, we just did, and most of you are here for the series that we did on what it means to be a Baptist. Why are we Baptists, you know? We'll do a whole series on that as part of this, is this thing too. So um, I've got a lot of ideas, but I'm always open to more. So if you have something that, um, you know, that you think would be a, a useful or a helpful or a challenging topic, then, you know, mention it to me. And, uh, you know, honestly, even some things that, that seem to be a contradiction. Uh, you know, this verse says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Well, that verse certainly sounds like it could be talking about being baptized to be saved, right? You have to be baptized to be saved. Anything that looks like a contradiction in the Bible uh, or anything that is an apparent contradiction is just that. It's an apparent contradiction. The Bible does not contradict itself. Um, and if you look at the totality, the, the, the totality of the Bible, everything that's in it, it all complements. It, it does not, it, it's not, it's not going to tell us to do this and then turn around and say, don't do that, you know? So if it looks like that, we're, we're, mis, you know, we're misinterpreting it. That's, that's just what it comes down to. So if you have anything like that, let me know and, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it. We'll take some time to discuss it in a podcast. But uh, anyway, Matthew chapter 6 tonight. And this is, this is kind of a tough uh, subject. Um, because we're continuing with this idea of prayer. That's what Jesus does in, in starting very early there in Matthew chapter 6. He talks about, you know, what we would call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. Uh, and we took a few weeks to go through that. But then he comes to this idea of fasting. We hear a lot about fasting today. Uh, not necessarily from the perspective that we're looking at here. Uh, intermittent fasting. You ever heard of that topic or that, that term? It's a very well-known term now as, as, as part of a diet plan, Right? Uh, intermittent fasting is supposed to be a great, uh, a great diet plan. Uh, and and I, think, I think it's so interesting that, um, that something we're given as a way to get a hold of God is also very healthy for us at the same time. Um, but fasting is, for, for a lot of Christians, something that's, that's very feared and misunderstood. Um, maybe out of all of the spiritual disciplines that we look at, things that we're supposed to do as Christians, I think fasting is probably one of the things that we do the least. And uh, one, of the, one of the ones that we fear the most, um, a, a lot of people believe that fasting turns us into something we don't want to become. It causes us to, um, to you know, causes things to happen that we don't want to happen. And, and, and I think a lot of times we get this idea that fasting is just going to make us this, you know, hollow-eyed, uh, you know, something to be, you know, to be afraid of, you know, some person that you don't want to become and, and uh, you know, that you have to become a Buddhist monk or something like that in order to fast. I mean, honestly, we have that. You know, maybe not that extreme of a view, but there's a lot of people who would rather, uh, you know, uh, fasting for them has the same idea as, you know, shaving your head or walking across a, a pit of coals or something like that. You know, really it does. And, and it shouldn't be that way. Uh, but fasting, I think, is so, under mis is so misunderstood because we know so little about it. Um, 
there's more interest in fasting today than I think during at any point in in uh, in history. But but how many people and and you know really honestly the very nature of fasting is that people shouldn't really know about it. But how many people do you know that fast regularly? You know how often do you hear preaching on it? I I, I you know I'll, I'll be the first to admit I don't preach on it very much. I haven't really preached on it at all. Um, uh, I, you know, we, we tend to shy away from it a little bit, <clears throat> and, and, and I think particular for me, because I wish I understood it more, I wish I did it more, I'm working on it, um, but we, we shy away from those things, I think, a little bit more than we should, and yet it's mentioned, believe it or not, fasting is mentioned in Scripture more times than even something like baptism. You know that? Baptism, I think, is mentioned something like 70, 75 times, fasting is mentioned 77, 78 times in the Bible. Uh, there's a lot in the Bible about fasting. Um, but I think what happens as well is that Christians that live in a, a gluttonous, uh, self-indulgent society are afraid to, to skip a meal here and there for the sake of trying to get a hold of God. Skip a meal for the sake of, of some of these things that we're going to talk about tonight with what fasting actually is. But I think it's because uh, so few things go so radically against our human nature. And that's one of the reasons why fasting is so uh, beneficial to us spiritually. Because if you, want to, if you want to put your flesh down, there's not many things that will do it faster than fasting. Right. And uh, the Bible defines fasting as a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Um, it, it's a Christian thing. By, by not, you know, by fasting by a non-Christian has, has no eternal value since the very nature of what fasting is all about is to be God-centered. So just because you fast as part of a diet plan or something like that does not make you a Christian. It does not mean that you're fasting the way that God wants us to fast. But fa fasting is something that is voluntary in the sense that it can't be coerced. Uh, it's something that we have to decide that we're going to do. Um, it's, it's more than just an ultimate crash diet for the body. It's, it's abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. That's what fasting is all about. Look what Jesus says about that in this sermon in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 16. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly." I'll turn over to Matthew chapter 9, just a few pages over. Jesus made it very plain, the idea behind fasting here in Matthew chapter 9. Verse number 14, it says this. Then came to him the disciples of John, which, by the way, this is, these are disciples of John the Baptist. They were, by all accounts, godly people for the most part. But they came to Jesus. Then come to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? So in other words, while Jesus was with them, the, Pharisees, I mean the, uh, the disciples of Jesus Christ did not fast at all. Why aren't they fasting? We fast, the Pharisees fast, why don't your disciples fast? Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom's with them? But they, days will come when the bridegroom shall be, taken away from, or shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. The purpose is pretty clear. Jesus is gone. It's a way to get closer to him. When Jesus was here, they didn't need to do that. They had him. He was right there. But, but once he's gone, and that time is now, until Jesus, the, the bridegroom of the church, returns, he expects us to fast. 
So the Lord didn't command us to fast. There's nowhere in the Bible that we're commanded to do it. But he didn't discourage us from doing it either. And it's taken for granted, if you look, go back just a couple pages in, in uh, Matthew 6, verse 16, it's taken for granted in this Sermon on the Mount that we'll fast. He doesn't say, thou shalt fast, or he, he, but, but look what he says. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites. In other words, he just takes it for granted that we're going to fast as part of a spiritual discipline, as part of, of, of our trying to get a hold of God. So tonight, let's examine what Jesus was trying to get across in this passage on fasting. We're going to spend most of our time on the first point, and then we'll just, just kind of conclude it with a couple other points. But I really want to just talk about what fasting is. Why do we fast? What, what's the purpose of it? So let's pray. And then we'll look at some of these things. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the time that we have together tonight. I pray that you'd help it to be profitable for us and that we'd understand these things as we go through it. And that you'd help us to be Christians who are willing to fast for the sake of getting a hold of God, for the sake of doing the things that we're going to look at tonight. And God, I pray that you'd be pleased by what we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you might want to get out a piece of paper um, and, and write some of these things down. Boy, we could, we could take two or three weeks to talk about fasting. Um, and I'm, I'm for the sake of time and because we're going to be gone over the next couple of weeks and trying to split it all up and everything else wasn't going to be that beneficial for us, I am going to go through these pretty quickly. So I'm going to mention some of these verses and some, uh, some different stories in the Bible. I'll give you the passages that those stories uh, correspond with, and you can go back and look those up later. Um, but the first thing is the question of appetite. So we're just looking tonight at the principles of fasting first one is the question of appetite. Scripture gives us a lot of purposes for fasting. Um, a, w whenever you fast, you should do it for at least one of these purposes. And I'm going to give you nine of those tonight. Uh, but not one of these purposes, you'll notice as we go through here, is to earn God's favor. Um, we cannot use fasting to impress God and to earn his acceptance. There's a lot of uh, religions that are trying to do that. Catholicism is one of those. Fast so I can, you know, so I can gain God's favor and he'll answer my request. F you know, Buddhism does that. Um, it's, the idea is called asceticism. And that is basically abstaining from something, you know, taking everything out of your life that you can take out for the sake of impressing God. We can't impress God with our fasting. We're, we're, not, we're made acceptable to God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, not because we fast or any of these other things. It has no eternal benefit to us until we come to God through repentance and faith. Fasting, and, and, and this is not something that you don't know, but fasting is not going to get us any closer to God uh, before salvation. Fasting is something that's made for after we're saved. But the first thing that fasting is, is for is this, and that is to strengthen prayer. Fasting is there to strengthen prayer. There's something about fasting that just sharpens the edge of our intercessions before God, gives us a passion to our supplications. Um, and boy, there's, there's so many things that we can talk about when it comes to the idea of prayer. But fasting, when we, when we pray and fast, we are there for the specific purpose of praying. We're skipping that meal for the specific purpose of praying. It's going to give your prayer a little bit more of, a, of an unction behind it. In Ezra chapter 8 and verse 23, so we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. You know, the most important aspect of fasting is its influence on prayer. The Bible, the Bible doesn't teach that fasting is a kind of spiritual hunger strike that compels God to do what we're asking him to do. 
That's not the idea behind fasting. If we ask for something outside of God's will, fasting is not going to cause God to reconsider His will and give it to us if it's not in His will. Fasting doesn't change God's hearing so much as it changes our praying. And that's exactly why we fast, to show God that we're serious about that and to strengthen our prayer. And you'll notice that in one way or another, all of the biblical purposes of fasting relate to prayer. We're going to look at a lot of other ones, but many of them, all of them really kind of revolve around this idea of praying. And that's why most of the time you hear it together, fasting and praying, right? Because that's, that's a lot of what it is. Nehemiah, and, and here's where you can write some of these things down. I'm going to give you examples with each one of these. We just don't have time to go and look at all of them. But in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4, he fasted and prayed. Daniel fasted and prayed in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3. Even the church at Antioch fasted and prayed before they sent out Paul and Barnabas. That's in Acts chapter 13. And we can look at all of these examples, and that's what I'm saying. I, I hate the fact that we don't have time to go look at all of them, but if we took, if we took the time to look at all of them, we'd only get through a couple points each night. Uh, but they fasted and they prayed, and they used that fasting to strengthen their prayer. But the second reason for fasting... The second purpose of fasting is to seek God's guidance. Um, there's a biblical precedent for fasting to more clearly discern the will of God. And honestly, those examples that we just looked at could be examples that would be, you know, examples of that. They were praying to get a hold of God to strengthen their prayer, but so they could help discern what the will of God was for them. We see that in Judges chapter 20. The tribe of Benjamin was fasting and praying for God's guidance. And I wish we had time to go through that story, but the, the tribe of Benjamin had basically been singled out. The other tribes were basically all gathering against them, and they needed to know what God wanted them to do. So they declared a fast, and they fasted and prayed for God's guidance. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, Paul and Barnabas, uh, before they appointed elders in the churches that they founded, they first prayed with fasting to receive God's guidance. They wanted to know what God wanted them to do. And so, yes, they prayed but it wasn't fasting just for the sake of prayer. It was fasting for the sake of getting a hold of God so they can discern what God's will was for them in, in relation to whatever it is that they were going to God for. Fasting doesn't guarantee that we're going to receive a, uh, a clear guidance from God. Sometimes God just does not want to give us that guidance. But I can tell you this, uh, when we practice that fasting in the right way, it does make us more receptive to what God's will would be for our lives. Um, you know, sometimes it may not be exactly what we want to hear, but if we're fasting and we're praying for God's will, it's certainly going to make us much more open to what God's will is. The third thing is this, it's to express grief. Now, three of the first four references that we looked at in the Bible, the fasting connected with an expression of grief. Um, in Judges chapter 20, um, the Israelites fasted over the loss you know, of 40,000 Israelites that were killed. It was fasting because of their grief. When Saul was killed in battle in 1 Samuel chapter 31, the men of Jabesh-Gilead fasted for seven days. Uh, when David heard that Jonathan and Saul had been killed, he declared a fast in Israel. So that fasting and mourning was to express that grief. And I think we can take that into a second, uh, into a second uh, step, and to say that we also fast because of grief over our sins. And we see that in the Bible as well. But, but biblical confession involves, to at least some degree, grief over the sins that we've committed. And uh, again, this is just another way to, to really get a hold of God, to really let God know that we're serious about our prayer. 
when we are grieving over our sin. It doesn't make you any more worthy of forgiveness, but it does communicate to God the grief and the confession that sometimes our words cannot communicate. Fourth thing, fourth purpose of fasting is to seek deliverance and protection. One of the most common fasts in, in biblical times was a fast to seek salvation from some enemy or from some circumstances. Uh, Jehoshaphat did that in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Ezra, we, we already looked at that example, but Ezra did that in Ezra chapter 8. Esther, she's probably one of the greatest examples of fasting and praying for protection. You remember the story of Esther, right? In Esther chapter 4, they, she declared a fast. She said to Mordecai, you go and you tell the children of Israel to fast. I'm going to go before the king, fast and pray and beg God for, for his protection. And they did that. And obviously, you know, God, God gave them that protection. But when we fast, we should, we should also include prayers asking the Lord for, to protect us from our enemies that might result from our sins. And uh, God, God often disciplined Israel for, for um, sins by allowing these national enemies to gain an advantage over them. Um, militarily, to gain an advantage over them e economically. Uh, but perhaps we don't think um, as often of the reality of national sins as we should. Look, if God has to judge the United States of America, and if we continue in the direction that we're going, he's going to have to judge this nation. It, it wouldn't be fair to nations like Sodom and Gomorrah if God didn't judge America. It wouldn't be fair to these other nations that he destroyed if he doesn't destroy America. We need to see God do something soon. We need to see the Christians come back to God soon. But you know what? There's a lot of people in America who are living for God. But we're part of this nation. And if we're living in this nation, then we're going to be part of the destruction and part of the judgment that comes on this nation as well. We need to fast and pray that God would give his protection to this nation. That's, how, that's the only way we're going to see God do something for us. Right? We ought to be praying for God's protection. Uh, and even if you look at the example of Esther, what was she praying for? She was praying that God would give them that protection for their whole nation, right? I'm going to go before the king. The king's already given a declaration that this nation is going to be destroyed. We need to do something. So to seek deliverance and protection is the fourth thing. The fifth thing is to express repentance and return to God. Boy, that one seems to be one that's pretty obvious, but that's exactly what it is. This, this is similar to fasting to express grief over our sin. Uh, but repentance is a change of mind resulting in a change of action. Fasting is also uh, a signal that we are willing to make a commitment to obedience and to a new direction. First uh, Samuel chapter 7 and verse number 6. You don't have to turn over there. You can write it down if you're writing these down. They gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. But they were fasting to express repentance before God over their sin. And not only can fasting express repentance, it can be vain without repentance. Right? What's the purpose? Fasting can be, it's just a little more than a dead work. If, if we have persistently hardened our hearts to God's call to repentance. And this is not just, you know, uh, a, a nation that hasn't accepted Jesus Christ as, as their Savior, right? He says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. He says in 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins. Uh, it, you know, if we confess them, we'll have mercy. That's all about repentance. So that call to repentance is to Christians who won't repent. And 
fasting can be a way to express that repentance and a return to God. Uh, the, the sixth thing is this, and that's to humble yourself before God. Turn over to Psalm 35. See, fasting, when we practice it in the right way, um, with the right motives, I should say, is, is a physical expression of humility before God. Uh, just as kneeling can be an expression of humility before God, prostrating ourselves on the ground can be an expression of humility before God, um, but those things can reflect the humility before Him, but that's exactly what fasting is all about as well. One of, the, one of Israel's godliest men humbled himself before the Lord in the same way. That was David. He said this in Psalm 35 and verse 13. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. Remember that fasting is not humility before God, but it's an expression of humility. When we fast, and again, we're going to look at these principles very quickly at the end, but if you notice what he says in Matthew 6, 16, 17, and 18, He's saying, basically, don't let people know that you're fasting. People ought not to be able to tell by the expression on your face that you're going through a fast, right? And that's, that's exactly what this idea of humility is. Boy, if you're fasting only so people know that you're doing it, then you're doing it for all the wrong reasons, and you're completely missing the purpose, and it counts for nothing, right? Humility, fasting is a sign of humility. It's an expression of humility. Um, we don't have time to turn there either, but in Luke chapter 18 and verse 12, there was no humility in the Pharisee. Remember the Pharisee and the publican? What did he say? He got up there and he beat on his chest and he said, I fast twice a week. I do all of this. It counted for nothing because he wasn't doing it with the right motives. He wasn't doing it in the right way. And so you can fast all you want to. If you're not doing it for the right reasons, it doesn't count for anything because fasting is an expression of humility. The seventh thing is this, it's to express concern for the work of God. Uh, just like a, a, a parent might fast and pray for their children and for God to do a work in their child's life, uh, the same thing is true for Christians, to fast and pray that God would do something in our church. You know, and that's, that's exactly what ex, you know, expressing concern for the work of God is all about. A Christian might feel compelled to fast and pray for the work of God in a place that has experienced tragedy, that's experienced disappointment, that, that's uh, experienced defeat, right? And sometimes that happens in a church. Sometimes that happens in a nation. Isn't that what we're going through right now? But fasting and praying and begging God for the work of God. That was the purpose for Nehemiah's fast when he heard that the walls had been broken down in the city of Jerusalem, right? He fasted and he prayed because the city had no walls to defend it. And after that fast, Nehemiah went to work to do something tangible uh, to strengthen this work of God. And, and that's, a, that's another thing that kind of goes along with that, that we don't have you know, necessarily time to take tonight to go through that. But you can fast and pray all you want to, but if you're not willing to work for God, then all that fasting and praying doesn't count for anything, right? You've heard that expression before, God helps those who help themselves, and that's not necessarily what it is. God helps those who, who help others. God helps those who are working for Him, Right? And that's the thing. You can be on your, prayer, on your knees, and, and, and certainly prayer is important. Please don't take this in the wrong way. Prayer is important, but if you never get up off your knees and go out and do something for God, then you can pray for the entire world to be saved all you want to. If you're not getting up and going out there and trying to lead people to Jesus Christ, then all that fasting is really in vain, you know? 
I mean, it's, it's another thing entirely if you're fasting and praying and you don't have the ability to get up and go out and do those things. That's, that's a totally different uh, 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 example. But that's exactly what Nehemiah did. They fasted and they prayed that God would do something in the nation. And then what did he do? He, get up, he got up and he did it, right? So fasting is there to express concern for the work of God. Here's the next one. To overcome temptation and to dedicate yourself to God. That's the purpose of fasting. Uh, ask Christians to name a fast by a biblical character. And probably the first thing that we'll think of is fasting is Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is the ultimate example of somebody who fasted. He did that in Matthew chapter 4. Verse 2 of Matthew chapter 4 tells us that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. It's almost inhuman. I don't even know if that's possible to do it. I suppose it is if, if there was something that was absolutely necessary. probably heard about the pastor over there in Africa who attempted to, to try to break Jesus' record of fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights, and he ended up dying at day 33 or something like that. You know, it's, the whole purpose of that is not to try to break somebody's record in fasting or anything like that, but Jesus is a great example of, of what fasting is, and in that, that spiritual strength of that fast, he was prepared to overcome the direct onslaught of Satan, right? What happened as soon as Jesus was done with that fast of 40 days and 40 nights? What, what was the next thing that happened in his life? The devil came to tempt him, right? Uh, and, and what is the first thing that he tempted him with? Turn those stones into bread. I can imagine that Jesus had every desire to turn those stones into bread. He was, he was hungry. He'd been 40 days and 40 nights without food. But Jesus, because of this fast, was prepared to take on the onslaught of the devil. And the next thing that you see happening after that is that Jesus went into his public ministry. In fact, if you're in Matthew chapter 5, go back just a couple pages into Matthew chapter 4. He goes through all these temptations, and this, his last temptation ends in verse 11. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. And the very next verse, Jesus begins his earthly ministry. He goes out and calls his disciples. You know, I'll make you fishers of men. He starts, you know, from that time, verse 17, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. By the way, there's a good verse in favor of repentance, right? One of the first statements that Jesus makes in his earthly ministry is what? Repent. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But you see all of this, that, that Jesus did this in, to overcome temptation and to dedicate himself to God. Nowhere in the scripture are we asked to fast for 40 days, 40 nights, or any, any specific length of time. There is no specific length of time uh, that we're, I mean, lengths of time are mentioned. Jesus did it 40 days and 40 nights. They did it seven days. They did it 14 days. They did it seven days. They did it a day. I mean, there's, there's, there's lengths of time that's mentioned, but there's nothing that's given to us on how long we should fast. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing from Jesus' experience that we shouldn't apply to ourselves. One of the principles is this. Fasting is a way of overcoming temptation and dedicating ourselves to the Father. And sometimes that's what it takes for us to get back to that kind of like a hard restart, you know? Uh, you, you, you probably have done this with your phone or with your computer or something like that, and maybe if you do it a little bit more than others, you'll, you'll understand this. But sometimes when you use your phone a lot, and it just, it just gets sluggish. It just starts slowing down. And so what you need to do is just a hard restart, you know? Shut everything off, restart it, start over. And that's what fasting can be for us. 
It's a way of just getting back to square one, overcoming, helping us to overcome that temptation and just freshly dedicating ourselves to God again. There are times when we struggle with temptation or we anticipate the struggle with temptation and we need some help with that. Spend some time fasting, asking God to help you with that temptation. Uh, in times of exceptional temptation, exceptional measures are required. And that's sometimes what it's going to take is just fasting and praying and asking God to help you to get through that temptation, whatever it happens to be. Uh, but fasting to overcome temptation and renew our dedication to God is a very Christ-like response. It's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Here's another one. I believe this is number nine, right? Number nine is to express love and worship to God. That's one of the things that fasting does. And boy, we could spend a lot of time on this. There's so many ways that we can do that. But turn over to Luke chapter 2. This is a really interesting thing here. Um, by now, maybe because of all these things that we've talked about, you, you might have associated fasting only with dire circumstances, you know, when you have to express grief fast, when you really need to get a hold of God fast, you know. Uh, and we look at that as, as something that, that only revolves around dire circumstances. But the Bible also says that fasting can be just an act of sheer devotion to God, sheer worship to God. And in Luke chapter 2, if I told you to turn to Luke chapter 2, the first thing that comes into your mind is what? Birth of Christ, the Christmas story, right? There's something, and, and many times we stop well before we get to this passage, but later on in Luke chapter 2, there's 52 verses in Luke chapter 2, by the way. We usually stop at verse 14, you know, Hosanna to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men and all. But that story keeps going. And later on in that chapter, you come across a, a woman whose name is Anna. And I know you've heard the name before, but she was 84 years old, and she only gets... You know, her, her entire 84 years are, are just kind of flashed before us in three verses. But in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 37, the Bible says this, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. She was 84 years old, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Now, with Anna, we typically tend to focus on her story in the context of Mary and Joseph and, you know, presenting the newborn Jesus at the temple and, you know, but what she did from day to day is what is important here. You know, assuming that she was married, or not, not assuming, she was only married for seven years before she was widowed. Um, you assume that she was married as a young lady. I mean, she could have been married when she was 50. The Bible doesn't tell us, but assuming that, that like, like other young ladies, she got married. She was married seven years. Her husband passed away, and then she served the Lord in the temple for all of the rest of that time. And this godly woman, that means then, devoted almost a half a century of her life to fasting and praying every single day and every single night. That's an amazing thing. And she wasn't doing it because her circumstances were dire. She wasn't doing it because she was in great, you know, distress or anything like that. She was doing it because she was trying to worship God. And that's what it says there in that passage. Departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers. Fasting can be an expression of finding your greatest pleasure and enjoyment in God. Fasting is, is just there to worship God, to show Him that we do love Him. Fasting honors God... And it's, it's a means of worshiping, at, worshiping him as God and putting him in that position as God. And what it means, honestly, is it means that your stomach isn't your God. 
means that you can put those things aside for, for whatever period of time and put God first. Worship God first. And, you know, another way of fasting to express love and worship to God is to spend your mealtime uh, just in praise and adoration of God. Most of us aren't willing to skip meals. If we do, it's because we have to and, you know, because we're busy working, which means that we've put work in front of that. Or, you know, we're, we're, we're out about doing this and doing that and whatever else, and we, we end up skipping a meal. It just proves that we can. Proves that we can. We could go on for some time about how fasting is used to worship God and show our love for Him. So fasting is the question of appetite, and that's really what fasting is all about. But, but just quickly then as we, as we wind this down. Fasting is the question of appearance. And go back to Matthew chapter 4, or sorry, Matthew chapter 6. When we feel that it's necessary to curb our appetites, to forego eating or whatever else, to impose upon ourselves uh, a discipline of denial, and that's exactly what fasting is all about, uh, to bring our physical body under the restraint of the spiritual, then we, we have to be careful not to let it show. And that's why I talk about the question of appearance. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16 says, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. G. Campbell Morgan put it this way, we are to have perpetual Lent in our souls and everlasting Easter in our faces. In other words, we ought to be in a constant state of fasting inside and a constant state of just absolute joy on the outside. If our fasts are in any way designed to attract the attention or the praise of men, then we're doing it all for the wrong reasons. And our, all the self-denial and everything else that goes along with fasting is completely in vain. So fasting is the question of appetite. It's the question of appearance. Lastly, it's the question of applause. Verse 17, But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And boy, what a promise we have along with that. Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Fasting has its place, but we have to observe two rules when it comes to fasting. Beware of, of personal extravagances and beware of, pers uh, of public exhibition. We don't do it because we're trying to, to draw attention to ourselves. We do it because we're trying to get a hold of God. I think a classic example of a man who broke both of those rules is a man named Simon Stylites. And uh, he lived from A.D. 390 to 459. So this is a long time ago. There's been many, uh, I, I say many, there's been a, quite a few that have come along after him who's, who's, who have been associated with that name, Stylites, but uh, you'll see why in a minute. He did a series of astonishing things to bring his body under subjection. He was a, he was a Catholic um, monk, or not a monk, I guess, what do they call him? Yeah, I guess they do call Catholics monks, don't they? Um, uh, Buddhists are monks too. I guess they're both. Catholic monk. And what he did one time for the, for the whole period of Lent was that he, 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 um, he locked himself or, or like built himself into a closet so he couldn't eat or drink uh, as a way to bring his body under subjection. And when they finally opened that door after Lent was over, they were surprised to find that he was still alive. And so it was regarded as a miracle that this guy was still living. But what he decided to do is to go up onto a pole and sit on the top of it. A style light is what they call it, a style light. And so he, he built a six-foot pole, and he built a little platform on the top of it, and he went up there and he sat to fast and pray, and he wasn't going to come down. 
And the more he did this, the more attention it brought to himself. And so he kept making this pole higher and higher and higher until eventually the pole that he lived on was 50 feet tall. And they had to have people climb these ladders to bring the food up to him so that he could eat. But even then, most of the time, he didn't eat a lot of the food that was brought to him. And by the time he ended up dying, he had spent 37 years on the top of that pole. And basically because of what he did up there, and, and you know, he, never, he, he didn't come down or rarely came down, um, but people would come to him and you know, look at him as this great example of, of putting yourself aside. And you know, it, it turned into this great pride thing for him. And uh, people would come for his advice, and so he would spend most of his days giving advice and counsel to people who came to him for their advice. Um, but he spent 37 years on the top of a 50-foot pole. And finally, one day, somebody came up there to, to deliver the food for him, and they found him dead in a prostrate position. Um, but just, you know, men will go through to, to all lengths to prove uh, that, that they have spiritual worth. But when we fast, we're supposed to make sure that it's a secret between us and God. He put himself up on the top of this pole, and others have come along after him. He was actually made a saint by the Catholic Church because of the time that he spent on the top of this pole. But he wasn't doing it because he's trying to get a hold of God as much as he was doing it to try to attract the attention of men. If he was really honestly serious about fasting and praying to get a hold of God, he wouldn't have done it in front of everybody on top of a 50-foot pole so people could see him. He would have done it in a closet between him and God. And that's exactly what fasting is all about. Biblical fasting brings us into a closer union with God. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and we'll be finished. While our bodies are being deprived for the purpose of drawing closer to God, he has, he's promised in return to draw closer to us. Fasting is a way that we put ourselves aside, put our bodies aside to be drawn closer to God. And God draws closer to us. And that's a spiritual certainty. As we decrease, the spirit increases. As individuals, we, we can be strengthened and we can be renewed, but that only comes when we put ourselves down. But again, you know, so many people have a fake humility. Oh, I'm not worth anything. You know, oh, oh you know, this and that. And they're only saying that because they want to appear humble, you know. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, we all, when, when, people, when people compliment us on things, we just sometimes don't know what to say, and so we try to downplay it, whatever else. And that doesn't mean that you're being prideful because you're trying to sound humble. Uh, but we have to be so careful about that. There ought not to be people knowing when you fast, you know, unless we as a church say, you know, we need to fast and pray for this day. And we're all fasting and praying together. I mean, in situations like that, maybe we'll know about it. I think we need to do it more. Um, but a fast between you and God should be just that. should be between you and God. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, For the which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And there's a couple ways that we can take that. Of course, you know, we're slowly dying. We're humans. The outward man is going to perish, but the inward man can be renewed day by day. But I think that could apply to fasting as well, you know? When you're fasting and skipping meals and, you know, taking the time to pray, the outward man might perish, but the inward man is renewed over and over and over and over. There's no fear of fasting. You know, there's something about saying, I'm not going to eat today or I'm going to skip this meal that causes anxiety in a lot of Christians. Uh, you know, most of us would rather a thousand times give money than to fast and to pray. 
If I can, can, I, can I just pay God off? Can I just put some more on the offering plate instead of fasting? You know, um, maybe you have a, a, a mild case of fasting phobia, you know, afraid of it. I think a lot of us are, you know. Uh, and, and I think it's just because we don't realize the value in it. You know, uh, we will willingly miss meals to go shopping, to go play sports, to, you know, to do this or to do that. But whenever we believe that something is more important than eating, we'll go without eating to do that activity. You know, well, we're not going to be able to eat lunch till four o'clock because we've got to do this at this time. Oh, that's fine. I can, I can wait till four o'clock. But oh, we need to pray. So we're going to skip this meal, and, and then we'll eat again at 5 o'clock. Skip a meal? You know? I mean, that, but that's how we look at it a lot of times, right? We'll make, we'll skip a meal for the things that we see as important. So if we're willing to fast to get a hold of God for the things that we see as important, then God sees those things as important too. Uh, I, so I, I guess the question is this. Will you fast as the Holy Spirit directs you to fast? Uh, are you willing to obey God when he prompts you to fast? Jesus expected his followers to fast, and, and, and I, you know, I believe that from time to time, the Holy Spirit will, will, will direct us to fast too. Um, I think like all of the spiritual disciplines, and by that I mean you know, the different things that we do spiritually to help us, but fasting kind of hoists the sails. And, and puts them up there so that the Holy Spirit can, you know, use us and that the wind of the Holy Spirit can catch those things and push us forward in our relationship with God. But fasting adds a, a unique dimension to our spiritual life and it helps us to grow in, you know, Christ-like in ways that, that really there's not a lot of other things that can help us get to that point, you know? I mean, you can go out witnessing and, and certainly that, that's something that helps us to be more Christ-like, but, you know, somebody that's not even saved can go out knocking on doors. You know, probably had people on your doors all the time about this political stuff, right? I mean, you can, you can pray in public, but there's a lot of people who get up and pray. I went to the, the, uh, the National Day of Prayer thing for, the, uh, for our state, and a bunch of these legislators get up and pray who are Democrats that are 100% in favor of abortion and homosexuality. Anybody can get up and pray. It doesn't make you spiritual. But when it comes to fasting, fasting is one of those things that if we do it with the right motives and if we do it in the right attitude and if we do it in the right way so that we're not trying to draw attention to ourselves and anything else, there's not many things that can draw us closer to God than fasting can and quicker than anything else. So why not set aside a time of fasting soon that will help you symbolize your dedication to God, help you symbolize your worship to God and your willingness to discipline yourself to fast. And that's what it comes down to. It takes discipline. It takes work. But then again, everything in this Christian life that counts for anything does. So think about it. You know, let's, let's, let's pray about it. Let's, uh, let's, you know, maybe fast once a week. Start off with just skipping lunch one day, you know? And then maybe God will direct you to skip a, a whole day of, of, of eating. I know for me, um, I wouldn't say that I have a medical condition, but if I go for long periods of time without eating, I get really bad headaches. And I don't know if it has to do with low blood sugar or what. I, I know that my dad is kind of the same way. Uh, so, you know, you might have something that doesn't allow you to do that that much. Or, you know, get, a, get some uh, liquids or something like that that'll help you to be able to, to last through the time period that you want to fast. But, you know, 
uh, it's something that we need to consider. If Jesus saw it as important enough to put it in this great sermon and to just automatically assume that we're doing it, that we're fasting, then it's something that we ought to be doing. So go back over these verses. Read, read, read Matthew 6. Maybe go back over some of the verses that we mentioned and look at the examples in the Bible of fasting, but consider doing it. It's a great way to get a hold of God. It's a great way to show God that you're serious about the things that you're coming to him about. But let's again make sure that we're not doing it with the wrong motives. Let's make sure, like he talks about here, that, that we're not, you know, uh, hollowing out our eyes and making it obvious that we're fasting. Oh, it'd be something between you and God. And what a great promise that goes along with it. My Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And it's not that we're doing it for pride's sake, but isn't, it, isn't the reason we fast because we want to see results from God? My Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for everything that you've given to us in the Word of God. And I know this is less preaching, more teaching, but it's something that is so important to us that I don't think we talk about, preach about, teach about near enough. God, I pray that you'd help me in this area and help all of us in this area. The idea of fasting is something I think it is so fascinating that we can, if we could do it in the right way, we could, we could see great things come from you. And God, I pray that you would just convict our hearts about the need to do it, that you give us the means and the ability to do it, and the desire. If you're convicting our hearts about it tonight, God, I pray that you would make decisions that need to be made so we can continue to go forward for you. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the piano plays. The invitation is open. You can come.